them. Let's give them a big valley welcome to Dan and Danielle Freeze. So Danielle will, oh yeah, I'll come up. You're amazing. Okay, she's going to come up. We're going to tag team. So in a little bit, I'm going to hit her hand like a wrestling match. Then she's going to run up here and, and swap places. Is that cool? Um, man, a few things. There's so much swirling around. And when, you, when you've got less than 24 hours, practically speaking, to deliver a, a message that you weren't intending to be delivering. But it's a message that burns on your heart because it's Christ in you. Um, yeah, we've been here a few times now, got connected through Jeff and Rachel Mathis, who are friends of yours who visit here regularly over in Kona and told us about this amazing church. And you guys happen to be halfway between us up in the Northwest and all of our in-laws down in Utah. And we had a funeral in Burley on Friday for Danielle's grandfather. Both grandfathers passed in the last five months and they'd lived long, incredible lives. And so we said, hey, Hardys, we're going to be here. Can we stop by? And they said, yeah, please do. And we were just excited to come in fellowship. It's always dripping with the presence during worship. So we we're just excited to get some time with you guys. We were here back in May. So I just wanted to say thank you for how much you steward the presence of the Lord. I know when guests come here, they tell you what you guys carry in the worship atmosphere is not normal. You know that, but it's just beautiful. And just an encouragement to just keep going there. Please don't stop ever, ever, ever 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 you exalt the name of Jesus and I know it could sound redundant to our flesh but to our spirit it's the only name that matters under heaven and on all of, of earth um, I've had a lot of opportunity my whole life to get to speak in all sorts of different platforms whether it was in school or in the sports or in the Boy Scouts or in the church or in the business ar arena and I did it for the bulk of my life using a gift that God had given me but with a heart that was so trapped in insecurity that I was doing it completely for the wrong reasons, to get affirmation and validation so I didn't have to experience my insecurity. Does that make sense? And, and, and as, as, I, as I became Christian, the Lord said, Dan, you're no longer the mature one. Sit down and shut up. Those are the Holy Spirit's exact words to me. It was a good correction. And so I did. I sat for a couple years and I was just a child. And ate and I drank and consumed as much of the word and as much teaching and as much of the presence as I was willing to give myself ability to receive. And, and it was interesting because then as God started to say, okay, it's time to open your mouth again. It's time to start to speak on my behalf, hopefully with a more right heart posture. Um, I, I remember thinking, man, I, I can't wait to be this incredibly eloquent orator who's just going to put together the gospel explanation and unpack scripture in my pride, thinking probably better than anyone else ever has. I'm just going to be super honest with you guys, right? This is, I'm not the person who comes up here who's like, I hate this thing. I never want to open my mouth in front of people. I'm the exact opposite guy. Where every time I come here, God's like, Dan, will you please repent and humble yourself before me again? I know that sounds rare, but it's dead serious and honest, okay? And I actually give that away to you as like a bit of a confession. Is that fair? Okay. Uh, because here's what I've come to discover. No matter how good your hermeneutics or your exegesis or how brilliant your teaching is or how clever your stories might be, if, if the revealed word from Scripture and from your testimony and from your explanation does not allow the Spirit of the living God in the name of Jesus to bring revelation that creates transformation, yes. it's just really cool information and knowledge. 
Does that make sense? So our heart is that the Spirit of God would bring revelation that creates legitimate, real, lasting fruit of transformation in our lives. Are we willing to go there? So yeah, let's just pray. Jesus, we ask in your mighty name that you'd open our hearts and our minds, that we would be willing to receive whatever unique revelation you have specific for every single one of us in this room, that it would create transformation so that we might become more like you. And it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the world, if we're not aware, is at war, and that shouldn't be a surprise because according to the story of Scripture, it has always been at war ever since it went from the garden paradise to a fallen, cursed, broken world. There is now an enemy who's trying to take away all of God's creation and kingdom, and the Lord's like, I'm a rescuer, and I'm not about to let that go down, laying down, and so he goes to battle, and he pursues his kids, and he invites them back into relationship over and over covenant after covenant after covenant and the human kids we really can't figure it out and so he says okay i'll now enact my full-blown rescue i'll go become one of my human kids i'll go become the son of man on earth and i will accomplish what man in his flesh could never do but i'll do it fully infused by the holy spirit because i'm the god man says jesus christ and he's fully victorious sermon's over no just kidding but, but to appreciate how real the world is, the reason I didn't correct Pastor when he said Portland is because we're, we're about a 20-minute drive from downtown Portland, but we're over the bridge in Washington in a little community called Battleground. Cool name. Yeah, you know Battleground, touchdown, I love it. Okay. Um, the Portland thing, I'm just going to call it that, it, it appears to be permeating our whole country. We just had a friend from Canada come down to visit. He's like, what's wrong with your guys' city? Like... You guys got crazy issues. I went downtown Portland for the first time since pre-COVID, and I had a business meeting, and I promise you, 80, 90% of the retail stores downtown in a thriving metropolitan boarded up, closed up. It's super sad. It makes no sense in the natural to, to let this stuff just run amok and to, to literally steal freedom, to steal commerce, to steal livelihood, to steal housing. like. I'm just being completely honest. And I understand some of those individuals are convinced that they've got a beef, right, with what they might call justice, with what they might call compassion. But Jesus said, justice is mine. And, and the only real version of compassion is the kind that's infused by the love of God so I can then love you rightly, not in my own ignorant, manipulated form of what I think love might look like. So there's an invitation because it's not just in Portland. We're obviously seeing it across the entire world. And, and I was dumbfounded in January of this year because uh, over the last couple of years, 18 and 19, it seems this prophetic swirl around the church, those that are charismatic enough to say, well, listen to supposed prophets. And part of that prophetic swirl was this thing leading up to 2020, the year 2020. And it was the word of vision. You're familiar with all these prophecies about God was going to correct the lens and the vision of his bride, get his body more in line with who he is and what he is and where he's going. And I remember this excitement and this kind of hoorah, like can't wait for 2020. Something is going to break and something is going to shift in the church in the way that we live and the way that we see. And all of a sudden January came and I remember being in staff meeting at our church and it was like three weeks into the year and all of a sudden like no one's talking about the 2020 vision. I'm like, we were having conversations, at least in our little community, about how are we doing kingdom? And is it the way that the Lord really wants us to be doing kingdom? 
Is he maybe inviting us corporately to repent and to shift and to transform? Like we were having some very serious conversations that seemed to be like lens correcting. But within days, right, this supposed pandemic drops and then civil unrest and the whole nine yards and then forced fires and can't leave our house because the, right, cloud cover is so damaging and hazardous. And here we are now months into a year that feels like we've literally dissolved it away. Can't even believe we're almost to Christmas. It like hurts my head to think about. But I'm convinced that the Lord, not necessarily causing all of this, but clearly at a minimum, definitely allowing it so that we get correct vision. And unfortunately, for a lot of us, it's been a surgical process that none of us would have guessed or would have wished upon ourselves in order to get our vision corrected by God. But he's like, what if your vision as a world, as a nation, even as a church body, even as just an individual, Dan, could be skewed enough that I need to like shake the foundations of everything that exists so that hopefully at a certain point your dependence just leans into me because you realize nothing else is stable, nothing else is solid, nothing else is lasting, and my eyes slowly get off of everything else and slowly as I'm humble and willing as the Spirit leads me, I'm going to just be prepared to hopefully just look solely and only forever at him as the sure thing. I think that's in part what he's trying to do here with the 2020 vision, right? I'm just going to go do LASIK on the church of Christ, right? Is that fair? So let's let him do it. Let's let him do it. So the, the, the words that, that we were communicating around, right, the, the dining table the other evening as we were sitting with pastor lynn that we had no idea would land here on the platform this morning was stuff that god's been stirring in us as we're serving with youth now at our local church the lord invited us out of the mission field last year when we were here in august we were running full steam ahead with ywam kona and long term we're still on a trajectory uh, down to the the land of utah at some point but god gave us another interim stop gap to grow us and to, to, to grow what he's doing through our family and getting to serve with an incredible community of our home church there. And, and what we're seeing is we're getting to press in deep with the youth. Is we're seeing the intense wrestle of, of, of the, the tendency as, as old creation to, to live in a posture of compromise versus living in a state of holiness. So that's the conversation we want to press in on, Danielle and I, today, is this invitation for holiness. And, and I think for a lot of us, that's such an old school, old churchy word, like just not used in our modern contemporary language. And, and it was used for me growing up in a religious context, and it just put this giant burden on me of I have to learn to behave really, really well until I qualify for some various level of holiness. The issue I had with that my whole life was the harder I tried, the more selfish my intent was because I was trying to earn God's favor. And I knew that selfishness was totally unholy. So even my best effort to be holy was failed on arrival. Anyone ever felt that before? You're like, ah, even this thing I'm trying to do is for the wrong reason. God, I'm totally hosed. Okay, so let's just press in. Uh, Holiness simply means to be set apart, to be different than everything else. Now, here's what I want us to appreciate. When God started this giant story of creation and he, he breathed the breath of life into his first children in the garden paradise and formed Eve with Adam, 
the default state of his human children was holiness. We need to get the story correct in our hearts and our minds. That this invitation to holiness isn't, I just need my Christian kids to work really hard. It's like, no, I want you to come back into what we already once were, that I designed you to be in. And that's been stolen, and he's trying to restore it back fully. Is that fair enough? Now, when we talk about holiness, I'm fully aware, and maybe some of you are, that there can be some varied reactions in our own hearts and minds. Some of us are like, yeah, that's kind of just irrelevant. And it can seem irrelevant, not applicable for some reasons, and we'll talk about those in a moment. Some of us can actually have some sort of like an offense or even a frustration maybe well up inside us. For me, for years, that happened. In part because my wife, Danielle, bless her soul, had a I will say Holy Spirit deposit, even while we were trapped in our religious bondage, where she had a heart after purity. There was just something in her from early on that desired and longed for holiness. And, and when I would want to go watch a certain movie, and she'd be like, I'm just not comfortable with that, and like a little bit of offense and frustration. And I'd be like, oh yeah, you holy roller. <laughs> and I would justify my compromise because it's not nearly as bad as that other movie we could watch, right? She's a good intuition. <laughs> some of us, when we reference holiness, these responses, these reactions, some of us can find ourselves actually in a posture where we're like longing and desiring to lean into it. And there's something in us that's like, yeah, yeah, I, I want that or I want more of that. We, we've tasted and we've seen that it's good. And we're now hungering and thirsting after more of that righteousness. If you're on some of that spectrum of it's ir irrelevant or it's offensive or you long for it, it is what it is. You're where you're at, where you're at. Just in your heart right now, say, Jesus, if it's from you and it's for me, I say yes and amen. Yes. Regardless of where we're currently at. I think some of the negative responses regarding this invitation of holiness can be from one, just like a misunderstanding. We don't even know what it means. We don't even know how it necessarily fits theologically into our Christian walk. We're going to press into that in just a moment. I think for some of us, though, like it was with mine for so many years, honestly, my heart was just off. There was a war inside me from my old man, my flesh, my sin nature that didn't want to have to lay itself down and adopt what God was wanting to deposit into me. So if that's you and you're acknowledging right now what you're seeing, you're like, yeah, there's a bit of a war inside me. Yeah. Amen. It just is what it is. But submit it right now at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, if you want me to not be that, to not have a war inside myself, against your deposit and goodness of holiness and righteousness in my life, please let that come. And I, I promise you what we're going to press in today is not a religious posture. It's not a works-based sermon. And I think that's where some of the wrestle comes because we hear this word holiness and some of us that come from a, maybe a, a, a theological Christian background where it was a bit of a works presentation, performance, behavior-based, right? You've got to get your act together. We hear this invitation of holiness and we're like, don't take me back there. That was my old world. Fair enough? Okay, so I'm going to propose there are kind of three wrestles, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on these. One I would say is just a theological wrestle. Like, what, what does the Word of God actually really say about this thing of holiness? Okay? The second I would say is I've already referenced this wrestle between our nature, the, the old man, which is crucified in Christ, but I haven't yet actually fully allowed him to die and be yet fully resurrected and sanctified. 
And there's that war there. And then the third one I would say is literally a spiritual wrestle. There is an enemy who hates the idea of God's children living in a place of holiness like we originally were. And he will forever and always do anything that he can to disrupt that rescue plan and to keep us in a posture of compromise. That's his game for the church. If I can just keep the body individually and at large in a little bit of a compromise, they will never yet become fully the light shining on the hill. Does that make sense? And if ever there was a moment, and this is part of what Daniel and I were discussing with the Hardys the other day, was we're all seeing that the divide between the light and the dark, the black and the white, the good and the evil, the divide is getting greater. And I'm convinced that what we thought as human beings was this gray area, whether Christian or not Christian, there's like this middle ground of I don't have to go play the holier than thou person, but I don't have to like go dive all the way into the world. I think we're seeing that that gray never existed and it's dissolving away as we speak. And I'm convinced, because it's a biblical prophecy, that that divide is only going to get greater and more obvious. And statistically, the church attendance post-COVID across the country is a fraction of what it was pre-COVID. And you could explain all sorts of reasons in the natural for why that might be the case. But I'm convinced the part is because the shaking was such that people who just played churchianity aren't the remnant prepared to commit themselves fully back in. And I just bless their heart in Jesus' name. If you're here right now, I'm believing you're remnant. You want the whole meal deal. Amen? Amen. Here's why I think this invitation for holiness is so powerful. There's an old part of me that used to be really, really like upset with the people who lived in the dark. And I would like kind of judge them and curse them. They're such idiots. Don't they see? Don't they get it? But, but now like there's a part of me where the Holy Spirit's just tenderizing it. Like my heart breaks. And I'm like, oh, I wish they knew the goodness of God. And the more light the light gets, I think there's people who thought they were in the light and are realizing they're not, or they thought they were in the gray, and they realize they're not, or they're actually been living in the dark. And at some point, they're going to realize this, this cesspool isn't what I want my life to be about. And they're going to look across the gap, and they're going to say, whatever that thing is, whatever those people have, that life, that joy, that, that fruit of the Spirit, in the midst of all the turmoil, I can sincerely sit here and say as crazy and chaotic as this year has been, there has just been a peace and a joy. Supernaturally, set it over my household and over my marriage and over my life. And I no glory to myself. Praise Jesus that he's that good, that he's done a transform work in my life that I can sit here today and say, that's available regardless of circumstance. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's talk about this theological really quick because we're fully aware we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and, and if you follow some church history in the evangelical Protestant world, there's been a storyline over the last couple of generations where as they were getting freedom in Christ, that the holiness movement swept across the body. But, but then over the last couple of decades, that pendulum swung from what they call the holiness movement to the, the grace emphasis movement. And we find ourselves in the midst kind of, I think, on the tail end of that. And I think 2020 is a part of the correction of that. Where the Lord is saying it's not either or, it's both and. Because the truth is, a grace that does not end up manifesting holiness is not the grace of God. Can we just say it? It has to. It has to equal, I end up more like Christ. Way more new creation than that old guy. It has to. Or it's not, I'm going to say it, the grace of the living Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're tagging on other words around this word grace, which no longer make it grace. It's something else altogether. 
So the two go hand in hand. Can't get away from it. And if that rubs you, I'm sorry. Because it used to rub me, and I love that it doesn't anymore. Okay? So, um, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9, he's giving his prayer of exhortation like he does as he opens up almost all of his letters to his friends. And, he, and he's referencing Jesus, and he's saying, I'm not ashamed. And in 9, he says, Jesus who saved us and called us to a holy calling. To set you apart, to live in a calling, a life experience that does not look like everything else. Right? Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Paul fully acknowledges when you go through all the letters, this tension of it is all by faith and it is all a work of grace but it must and always equal incredible radical transformation that is so clear to him and if we find ourselves in a wrestle with that biblical idea because i've, I've leaned into grace and trust me i get it when you discover that your christian walk was leaning onto a works self-sacrifice self-righteous right false version of the gospel and you get a taste and a revelation of grace and you're like oh my gosh the kingdom is a free gift just by believing it are you kidding me that feels so brilliant it is so freeing and it's so relieving and so life-giving that we just give works the boot right and yes works that are of me from me for me thinking there for him give them the boot all day long but it doesn't mean that when he then wants to do a transforming work in me that by default becomes the works of Christ in my life that look and feel insanely holy. Amen. We don't give them the boot. We say yes and amen to the more. Amen. Yes and amen to the more. Amen. All right, so the wrestle then, of course, with our nature. I, I actually find it shocking, and Danielle and I come into this uh, in talking with parents. Um, I don't care how old the kids are. We're obviously in this conversation a lot with parents of youth, and um, here's the classic line. Uh, the kid does something off the rails that they shouldn't have done, and mom and dad are like, I don't know why they did it. They knew better. Anyone ever found themselves saying that? I don't know why they did it. They knew better. I've told them a thousand times not to do that. Like as though simple information implanted into our brain about how to live a good life just automatically translates into living a good life. Like that's the entire story of the children of Israel is you're not going to get it and you never will on your own. And unfortunately, a lot of churches just said, if I tell them enough how to live, they're going to live the right life. But the war with what's going inside our sin nature. So, so we just need to back up into the story. Start in the garden paradise. Holiness was the default reality of Adam and Eve. But the temptation comes and the fruit comes and the curse occurs. And it's called the tree of right the fruit of knowledge of good and evil and of the many things that happen at the taste of that fruit one of them is this belief that converts from saying i no longer listen and trust him and he never said he no longer gets to define good i now in my own strength get to define good for myself i get to be the god of my own little reality and that curse genetically deposited on every single one of adam and eve's kids including all of us in this room Here's my point in bringing up the parents with the kids and that whole thing, which is like, parents, let's just get our minds right. Until your child is a surrendered, spirit-filled, sanctified child of the living God, the default that they are born into, that they are manipulated into, 
is sin nature. Does that make sense? Like, let's just get this parenting position, like, a little bit shifted so we recognize. And that's not to be rude or fear-based. That's just to be like, we know what we're working with. It's a war. And my kid was born into a world at war. And they get victory because of Jesus. Not because of what I tell them. Not just because of clever information. Does that make sense? So it's the same, it's the same for us. It's this wrestle, this nature that is at battle with itself. And, and I want to add one more component to it, which is uh, when we then hear a version of the gospel, whatever that might have been, and it's got any attachment of the religious spirit, and in this room, I think it's safe to use that word religious in a negative context because I think we all know what we mean here, which is the enemy who's in opposition to God takes God's truth and he bends and twists it. And it becomes a spiritual influence over us. And the simplest thing that the enemy has done to the body of Christ is to push this works thing back into the middle of the gospel. And what's interesting is our human nature so craves it. Just tell me the things I have to do to check the boxes to get the score. And it actually, it seems easier. Just give me the, and especially in like our Western Americanized, just systematized, programmatic, productive world. Just do the thing that gets you the results. It's insanely tempting. And the enemy's there like manipulating it into the church and into our hearts as much as he can. To, to get off of the victory of Christ and think I have to work it out for myself. So we've got these two wars that are happening within the flesh and the old nature that's not yet fully redeemed. So here's where the theological tension gets really interesting. Okay, but wait. Is not the righteousness of Christ fully imputed upon me? Fancy theological terms for when I surrender to Jesus and I get saved, the Father says the righteousness of Christ is now fully yours. You're a blood washed, pure, spotless. The holiness of Christ is now yours. So when the Father looks at me in this very moment, he sees the righteousness of Christ imputed and deposited onto me. And he does not see Dan in sin nature. Biblically, it's clear that positionally, as some theologians call it, that is the absolute reality of the kingdom and the gospel. And praise Jesus for that being true. Praise the Lord. Therefore, that I have assurance that should my life pass premature from when I want, I know that I know that I know that I'm blood-bought and I'm invited into the kingdom of God because of Christ Jesus giving his righteousness to me. Amen. Amen. Yet, the scripture makes it clear, Paul especially, that in this reality of my life, that truth of the holiness and the righteousness of Christ has not yet experientially become absolute in Dan Fries at this moment. It's pretty darn close. Just joking. <laughs> if you're paying attention it's far from it okay but that's the, that's this wrestle of wait but if, I, if I'm fully pure before God because of the work of Christ on the cross then that's enough no it totally is for the assurance of salvation but Jesus is like I want my kingdom to come to earth here and right now and I want you to be my image bearers right now and to be set apart and holy like I am now. So this is where holiness becomes what we call the journey of sanctification. Which is less of me and my old self and more of him to make me into a new self. And I will fully admit, letting my old self die over and over a million thousand deaths of surrender hurts like crap. Is that a swear word in here? I'm sorry. It's not fun. It's not fun to die to self. Until... 
I'm convinced you get past the 51% mark. The 50% mark, right, on the bottom end of that to zero was all old man on some scale, zero being like the enemy himself. And the 100% mark being like Jesus. 100% perfect, exactly the way the Father wants us to be. And we're all somewhere, literally the scripture says, we are going to transform from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And something happens in any given category, whether it's tithing, whether it's your prayer life, whether it's your marriage covenant, and, and you, you get to that 51% mark, and you're now more new creation than I am old creation, even by a tiny sliver, and it just literally becomes freedom in life on some level. Here's what I'm convinced happens, and we barely briefly touched on this when we were here a year ago. And then I'm going to be done for a minute and have Danielle come rock it. Okay. Um, I was shocked how many Christians, when we were early in our journey seven years ago, surrendering into the fullness of Christ, I was shocked how many Christians would say things like, enjoy the honeymoon while it lasts. And we were just like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's a honeymoon until the perfect day. And part of what they were saying is, you guys are like on fire, holy, rolly, new Christian converts, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fizzle, it's going to plateau. And I just remember being like, that's not the kingdom. You might have entered into a place of complacency. And, and let me tell you why I think so many of us as believers can enter into a place of complacency. Using that degree, 0 to 100, think of like your little, is it the protractor that goes from 0 to 180? Yeah, it's that thing. But it's 100, not 180. <laughs> If I was, say, a 35 percenter, like my whole being in every category that mattered to God, the life I lived pre-Christ was like pretty much fully in the flesh zone. And I meet Jesus, and he does some incredible radical works at the moment and in the weeks preceding salvation. And I find myself bumping by 5 and 10 and 5 percent chunks pretty early on in my walk. And months into my walk, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm like... You wouldn't even have a clue, but you're, you're probably somewhere in like this, let's say, 55% zone. You're, you're much more than you were previously new creation. 55 versus 35 feels like you are the king of the world. Does that make sense? The addiction's dwindling off. The anger is melting away. Peace is starting to settle in. Depression is lifting off. Name the experience of what salvation, the love, and the touch of Jesus does. I promise you, when you get to 55, you're like this is heaven and you can just plateau because I'm not that old guy that guy was 35 he was a tool right and I'm sitting here saying man holiness is 100 and it's available the blood is that valuable it's why Jesus came Danielle if you want to come up one of the verses that really really speaks into this and as we move into ministry time and it was a verse that the Lord had highlighted to Pastor Lynn. And it's, it's, it's something David says multiple times throughout the Psalms, okay? And it's this invitation of, Lord, search my heart and know me. What I think is so powerful, we love to preach about David being a man after God's own heart. And I'm convinced it's that heart cry, that prayer language sitting on David's soul. Where he over and over is like, God, would you search me? Would you know me? And then would you reveal to me where you're working in my life so that I can go from 55 to 57 to 62 yeah. and over and over and over and over. And I'll, I'll tell you what, every one of those degrees you realize, I, I can't believe who the old guy used to be. I can't, I can't believe I was complacent at 55%. Because 65 is so brilliant. I have no idea where my number is right now. But I can just say, I want more. Yeah. I want more. Yeah. Okay, 
This is Danielle. What I'm so excited for her to share, and then I'll come back up as we move into ministry time. As I told you, her heart has burned with a passion for holiness and purity, to, to my offense, for years. Yeah. But when she speaks, it just exudes out of her. So Jesus, we bless Danielle right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that your love would just shine forth. Fill us up, God, in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dan. Wow, thank you, thank you. Hi, you guys. I love, love, love being here, and I'm so thankful that what Dan shared, it is absolutely true. You walk in and you just feel the anointing just dripping. I think it's just like the oil is just dripping off of these steps and just like flooding this place. So thank you for stewarding that, you guys, so beautifully. Thank you. Um, yeah, like Dan said, so we have been a part of the youth group um, since the new year. But it, as you guys know, like the youth group, we, we, got, we got called in in January and really like couldn't do anything because then COVID hit, and then we actually had several months where we got to strategize with the Lord and just hear his heart of what he was doing with our church body specifically, and then uh, just with the youth. So it was actually an amazing time. But um, during this time, my heart began like deeply burdening for our nation and for the Christian body at large all across the world. And I was seeing, as you guys have all been seeing, just the divide, as Dan was talking about. And, um, wow, just like your mouth gets so dry up here. So weird. Okay. So last, uh, last time we were coming up here, so or coming here, um, back in May, um, my grandfather had passed, and then that's why we're here again. Um, but back in May, we drove here with an RV, and Dan had given me a couple of hours to drive the RV, which was really scary, but I was really, really glad. So I was like hanging on there, super stiff. I had a sore neck and back afterward just for two hours because I was so scared. But it was awesome because the Lord was speaking to me the whole time. And he gives me this vision, which, you know, I'm on the road driving a huge RV down the highway, but I get overcome with this vision on the road. And, um, I just hear the Lord speak super loud and super clear. And he says, are you filled up? Have you gotten your fill? And then I get overcome with this picture of Jesus standing on top of this dry, parched hill. And he's carrying this huge barrel in his arms. And as I look closer, I look and I see that it's just spilling over. But what's filling it are his tears. And he's just weeping over this barrel, but it's spilling out like just the fountain of living water. And then I see, I look a little bit around and I see that there's all these people, but they're crawling up this hill and they're as dry and parched as the land is. And so they blend in really well with the whole environment. And you just start seeing and they're like crawling up. They're so thirsty. They're just crawling and crawling. And then I see these arms coming out of the hill and they have little cups of water. And, and the people are like, oh, I just want that. Like, that's right there. It's right there available. And as I look closer in these cups, they're filled with money. They're filled with pride. They're filled with lust. They're filled with envy. They're filled with gossip. They're filled with, like, other gods and false theology. And people are just like, I'm grabbing that because I'm so thirsty. And that... It's just a little bit too high up there to get all the way up to that barrel. 
so I'm just going to take this one, but it just left them more thirsty. Kind of a like really vivid picture, and I'm just sitting there driving and like, oh my gosh, and then the vision completely ends, and I hear the Lord speak again, are you filled up, and have you gotten your fill? And I'm processing and praying, wow, like, God, what did you just do? What did you just deposit? And I feel like it was a twofold uh, question that he was asking. I felt it was first, he was asking, like, full of hope to those of us in the body of Christ that are, are looking to the one who is hope for all of us, right? And he's asking us, are you full? Have you gotten enough from me today? Right? Like, it's such, a, it's such an inviting and, and like an, a loving question when he asks us that. It doesn't feel condemning or shaming. And then the other question, the other way he, I felt like he was asking was in response to the rebellious. Have you gotten your fill? Have you been filled enough with this death and the lies? Are you filled? So it was so crazy. And I'm even just, even just a preparing for today when we were sitting around and last night as Dan and I were talking and I was like maybe I'm not supposed to Dan you're a phenomenal speaker I love when you're when he's saying like he loves this I hate this but the Lord just keeps pushing me forward and saying I'm supposed to so I was just like maybe I'll just let Dan I'm like God give me a dream give me a dream if I'm supposed to do this today and just like stand up here and talk and I get no dream and I wake up in the morning and I'm like I didn't get a dream, and he goes, open up your journal, and I open it up, and you guys, there's like 12 dreams that he's been giving me, like very specific, vivid dreams since COVID, since all this has been happening, very specific, and this is the one that he drew me to today. Um, So like Dan was saying, you guys, like as we look around, and we can just see like where the world is going, and we can see the body of Christ being divided, our friends and our families, our loved ones just being divided, And it's like a place in my heart that it just like, oh, why, God? Why do we need to be so divided? I grew up in in just like this chaos of just religion and like just striving. And I just like, I don't want that. Like I used to live in a world where you were wrapped in all these boxes, but you're not in any boxes. I'm so tired of you being in boxes, God. Like I just want all of you, however it looks. I just want all of you. And we see that like all around, the division of like the political who's right who's wrong who we should vote for like what movies are okay what's not okay anymore like are we willing to accept this person or these beliefs now or if you don't you're just as you know wrong as the other like just on and on and we're just being torn and we're seeing especially like as we watch like our younger generations just being like exposed to so much with social media super interesting but we have we have a lot of friends in um all across the globe right now just when you're in ywam and missionaries you get to meet all sorts of amazing people we have friends in um, southeast asia and they said their culture in asia they don't actually watch the news at all because they know that it's all corrupt they actually just stay the christians there stay just to the word alone you guys that's such a good word for us like it's just corrupt everywhere like jesus you are our only answer We're seeing the spirit of compromise in all of us, like in our families, in our homes, in ourselves. So while we were living in Kona on the YWAM base, um, 
you get the privilege to hear just incredible, phenomenal speakers coming through all the time. And um, I don't even remember the speaker that came in, kind of talking along the same subject. But he says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation celebrates. What one generation tolerates, the next generation celebrates. And we see that. We're seeing that right now. Am I now in a place where I'm compromising my belief system, who I know I am called to be fully alive in Jesus Christ, just to, to tolerate or to accept this over here or this over here, right? I heard this analogy a long, long time ago. Maybe you guys have too. It's probably just floating around everywhere. Um, of the boiling pot of water, right, with the frog. And if that boiling pot is just like rolling boil and you throw that frog in there, what's going to happen? The frog's going to jump out, right? And then if you let it in a cool pot of water and just slowly turn it to a rolling boil, that frog doesn't realize, but pretty soon he's going to be dinner for someone or funny, weird science experiment for something else. I don't know. But um, I just like was thinking about that. and I'm like, how many of us might just be chilling in like this little pot of water thinking we're fine. Maybe just this little bit of compromise. It's not hurting anyone. It's not doing anything, right? Like I know this is a big word. Like I'm not trying to like condemn or anything. Like I know I just want our hearts to be just brought into an awareness of who Jesus is and what he's done because we just find ourselves being stuck too often. You guys, but we have a God that loves to pursue and loves to chase after us. But God, I love that, you guys, but God. God himself gets us out of the mess that we got ourselves into. He's done it for the entire lifetime ever since the beginning of time. And he will do it again and again and again and again. The worship songs today, you guys, were absolutely blowing my mind. The first one I'd never heard before, and I was like, okay, Lord, this is like going to be a good day. Um, and I'm just so thrilled because, you guys, we have a God that loves us, that is for us. Yep, Jesus saved us. He rescued us. We went and chose differently, as Dan was saying in the beginning, in the creation, in the garden. And we can study his character and his nature throughout the word over and over and over again and I want you guys to like take the time right now like just to sit and like process like where has God brought you out of what storm what chaos the fears the anxiety he's rescued so many of us from actual death right he has saved us over and over and over he is the God that redeems he is the God that rescues. He is the God that restores. He is the God of breakthrough. He is the God of restoration and restitution. He is the God of power and the God of truth, right? Like on and on and on, you guys. Hallelujah. We can go on and on. The word is so alive and active. It is alive and active. It activates us into wanting more of him. He is so good to us, you guys. Do you believe him? Do you trust him that he is good? That's so much of the tension is like, I, I don't know, like maybe like I'm kind of on this 49, 
48 kind of percent line, right? Like, can I actually trust that he's good because so many people have failed me in my life. That person did that. That person did that. You guys, we have a God who forgives, a God who loves, and he's going to do it over and over again. Do you believe him? Is he who he says he is? Is he enough? Is grace grace? Is it sufficient for us? Oh, hallelujah. You guys, so what is holding us back and why the compromise, the strongholds that are in the way? Like, Lord, I want all of you, I want your holiness to come over me from the head to the bottom of my toes. And it, it's the most joyful thing, you guys. Like, it's, it's actually so fun to walk in this place of holiness. It's not this, like, I don't, I don't know, like, just, like, it's not forbearing it's not like like it's not this angry frustrating or fearful or like what's he gonna say I mean you know he knows everything nothing that we've done nothing that we've been a part of is new to him nothing he's so so good he's so good he loves us because he loves us because he loves us and he's going to receive us in fact the day that we walk to him in just full repentance I'm so sorry God I'm just crying out he's like I've been waiting for this day. What a special day today is. This is the day the Lord has made. Come on, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You guys, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I was talking with Dan about that, you guys, despising the shame. When we were in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they chose to eat, Shame entered in right there. The very first time that shame enters in was when we chose apart from him. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You guys, hallelujah. I love, uh, you guys are singing Lindy Kofer songs. I love her (laughs) so much. But she has this song called Obedience. And she sings over and over and over. It's my joy to lose my life and find it in Jesus Christ. And find it in Jesus Christ. It's my joy to lose my life and find it in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Following him, you guys, is so full of joy. It's so inviting. Like, seriously, you guys, like, come on so inviting can i hear like an amen and a hallelujah jesus it's so full of joy this is our god it's so full of joy how beautiful are his feet that bring good news god is calling forth his remnant body he is awakening us. We all feel it. You guys have felt him nudging you, maybe a little bit stronger lately, and tugging on you a little bit more lately. The whispers that you guys have heard him speaking aren't quite whispers anymore. They're getting a little louder. You guys, he's awakening us, and he is saying, arise. Arise. Now is not the time to be sleeping. Arise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have something? Yeah, if we can invite worship to come forward. How are we on on time with Kids Church and all of that? We're okay? Can we move in to some ministry with the Lord?
we give ourselves permission to go there. I think we're all aware that, that a single whisper from the Holy Spirit can do more to our hearts and our minds than a thousand sermons pieced together. And I, I want to believe that the words that have been deposited today uh, have, have been stirring and provoking us to a, the invitation of joy to lean in to holiness. If you want more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, we get more of Him and more of Him just by default equals holiness. So if you'll stand with us. Prayer team is going to be available as I'm sitting here with the Lord asking Him, where do you want us to go? We're going to have some keys come over us. We'll have a chorus come over us at some point. But what I see in, in my, my, my heart as I see the altar dripping with the sanctifying blood of Jesus Christ. I see this entire space up here, an open invitation to come uh, sit ourselves before the cross and say, Jesus, whatever percentage of, of new creation I find myself at today, I want to want more. And, and you know exactly what in me ha has been hindering that from occurring. You know what opposition and warfare of the enemy, you know what the strongholds, you know what the lies are, you know what the entanglements of the flesh that I've yet to crucify. Like, we get to just come to a transaction with him because like David said, God, just search me. And I believe as we come to this altar, there's many of us that are willing, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to reveal and to joyfully invite us into another level of the, of the holy walk of the Christian life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.